How is everyone today? Tired? Well, I've only I've got a 55-minute sermon planned. So, and the coffee's out. So we're in bad shape. So let's pray, and then we'll see where we can get together, okay? I'm teasing you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're grateful to be in your presence. Some of us come, uh, God, tired. Uh, some of us come excited for the day. Some of us are starting new seasons. Some of us are struggling. Some of us are wondering where you are. Others are, are grateful for the breath that you put in our lungs today. We come from all kinds of places to gather in this school, to offer you our worship, uh, to learn from you, and to be sent back out into this world that we know you love, that you have a role for us to play in, that you created us for, God. And so we're here to, to be restored and renewed by your presence, by your word, uh, that we might be part of your work as we leave today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we've been having this conversation for a couple weeks that's about uh, talking about the gospel with neighbors, coworkers, friends, people you live near, uh, kids at your school, students, whoever you, whoever you interact with on a regular basis. We're asking the question generally, how do we have conversations about gospel things with people we know who maybe aren't Christians or don't think like us? Uh, and specifically, we're focusing in on some questions that people might wonder about when they think about Easter, uh, especially if they're not Christians. And the title of our, our series here for the next couple of weeks is, What's So Great About Easter? Who, who gives a rip? Why is this such a great thing for you Christians? And each week we've been focusing on a different particular aspect of that. Today I'm going to talk about a common neighbor question that I'm sure you've come across where you might be talking to somebody and they say, you know, I'd, one thing I wonder about, I just don't understand why there's so much pain in the world. Why does God continue to allow so much suffering? And especially as many of us become more and more aware of what's happening globally, there's a lot of pain and suffering in the world, isn't there? There's a lot of pain and suffering in the lives of the people that are your neighbors. And there's a lot of questions about where is God in all of that? And they're really good questions and they're really important questions. So I'm going to try to help us engage that general question this morning. Why is there so much pain or hurt in the world? Uh, with the idea that Easter, the Easter story, has some good news to tell us about that question, right? And uh, instead of going into some sort of deep, complicated, philosophical explanation to this question, I want to talk about it as if we were just talking with neighbors right here, okay? So some of you may leave today saying those are really oversimplified answers. Others of you might say, oh, that's a really clear, simple way to explain something that I've thought before. Maybe you'd be somewhere in between. These questions need lots of conversation, but my goal for the next few minutes, uh, 53 minutes, just kidding, is, um, is to just say, here's how you might talk about this with somebody that you know in a kind of common, everyday sort of way. So I've got in my mind two neighbors, all right, for this conversation. One I'm just calling the, my agnostic neighbor. Does anybody have an agnostic neighbor? Right, everybody does, right? So you might be having a conversation with an agnostic neighbor who's wondering, yeah, where, what kind of God would allow this kind of stuff to go on? I, I call that conversation uh, a coffee shop conversation, right? It's a conversation that's philosophical and conceptual and it's about ideas. 
Uh, and it's a very important conversation, but it's a very different conversation from a conversation with a neighbor who I might just call the suffering neighbor. Someone that you know who is, who is really going through something hard right now. And oftentimes I think we mix up those two conversations because they're very similar to say, what's the deal with a God who doesn't do anything about terrible stuff that's happening in the world? And why, but that's different from why am I suffering right now? So there's a, there's a suffering conversation and then there's a ideas, theology, philosophy conversation and they're really different conversations. And if you mix up the conversations, you risk doing damage to the person you're talking to. If you try to provide a philosophical explanation for someone who's actually going through it right now, they're gonna look at you like you have no idea what you're talking about and they're gonna be mad at you because you don't understand what it's like to be them, right? And if you offer a suffering explanation to somebody who genuinely wants to know what sort of God could exist with all this evil in the world, they're gonna think you don't know what you're talking about or you have an oversimplified understanding of God. And so you gotta know, you gotta read a neighbor and read yourself, because we both fall, we all fall into these camps too, right? You have to understand who you're talking to and what their question really is. Don't talk to someone who's asking philosophical questions about suffering and don't talk to a suffering person about with philosophical answers. Does that make sense to you? So we're gonna have these two conversations. I wanna make sure we hold them a little bit separately. I'm gonna start with the agnostic neighbor conversation, which is a question about how, how could evil and pain exist at all? Now, the Christian perspective on this is real simply that there's a story in scripture that starts with creation where God created everything good. And then there's, um, because of the way that God created humans as free people, able to choose and have their own will, not robots. Humans are not robots, okay? We'll tweet that. Humans are not robots. God did not create us as robots. So he gave us freedom. And JD, if you didn't hear JD's sermon last week, you need to listen to it because he described sin as the way in which humans give their power over to things that become their master and put them in slavery in ways that God never intended. And we do that in all kinds of ways and end up serving lesser gods in our lives than the God of the universe. And that's how the story goes in, in Christian scriptures. There's a good creation. Humans decide they'd rather try to be God themselves than worship the God that created them. And all hell breaks loose, quite literally. And then there's this long period where we're kind of trying to figure out how to manage living in a world that's damaged by sin. It is affected in ways that God did not intend it to be affected. And there are all kinds of consequences for that that we, that we live with. Jesus enters the story and brings about redemption by conquering sin and evil, which I'm going to talk about more in a second. And then there's a future hope for Christians that the, that the world will be recreated, that there will be a new heavens and a new earth, and that all things will be restored to the way that God intended them to the be, in the beginning. A shorthand way of describing that story is just to say there's creation and fall or sin, then there's redemption, and there's ultimate restoration. So why are there terrible things in the world? Because humans are not robots. And God gave us freedom. God gave us freedom because God wants a free, loving relationship with us. He didn't want to create beings that had to love God. 
he asks us to choose because love without choice is not love. And so we all live with all sorts of terrible uh, consequences of choosing to serve lesser gods, of giving our power over to things that God did not intend to rule us, and we suffer. We suffer as a result of that sin existing in our individual lives and in the systems that we live in and in the world at large. Scripture says that creation, God's creation, is groaning. It's groaning under the oppression of sin, longing to be redeemed and recreated and restored to its original intent. Creation itself is groaning under the influence of sin. So sin has disrupted God's creation and created all this pain and suffering that we live with every day. So now if you're in a coffee shop conversation, that story, you might say, this is the Christian perspective on why pain and suffering exist in the world. And then you, you want to be able to say something about the good news, right? And so if you think, how does the Easter story, what's so great about Easter? What does the Easter story have to say about the pain and suffering that exists in the world? There's a text that I think is really helpful here. I would love it. If you have a Bible or a phone that acts as a Bible, it'd be great to write down these scriptures that we've been giving to you the last few weeks. Sometimes people might say, where's a good spot in the Bible to, to talk about the gospel? We've been talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last week, J.D. talked about Titus chapter 3. Today, I'm going to be talking about Hebrews chapter 2 and chapter 12. It'd be great to write these somewhere. So when you, when you need a reference to say, like, where, where is a clear example or description of the gospel in the Bible? Oh, yeah, 1 Corinthians 15, Titus 3, Hebrews 2, Hebrews 12, Luke 4, 2 Corinthians 5. It would be a really great list to have somewhere on your phone or in your Bible or wherever you keep such things. So in Hebrews chapter 2, here's how the author of Hebrews describes what Jesus does, what the story of Easter does to the power of evil in the world, okay? Imagine yourself in a coffee shop talking to a neighbor, just trying to paraphrase this text. Hebrews 2.14. Since the children, meaning us, have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too shared in their humanity, so that by his death we might break, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For surely it's not angels Jesus helps, but Abraham's descendants, human beings. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Just leave that text up there for me, Adam, will you? So one of the ways to summarize this would be to say that through the Easter story, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Bible is claiming that evil is defeated. That Jesus overcomes evil and death through the resurrection of his body. He breaks the power of death for us 
so that we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. That fear of death line is really interesting to me in this text. It says, that he might break the power of him, the devil, who holds the power of death, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. When we live our lives afraid of what might happen to us, afraid of what ultimately may come, whether it's today or next week or next month or next year or at the end of our lives, we live different lives than the lives that God intended for us. So the Christian perspective on this is Jesus makes it possible for us to not be afraid all the time. Jesus makes it possible for us to not even be afraid of dying because we know that the God that we serve, that we love, that created us, will bring us back to life. And that means you can live your life way differently than you otherwise would. That means that today matters in a really different way than it otherwise would. So if I'm sitting in a coffee shop with one of my agnostic friends and they say, man, death is just the end. My belief from a scientific perspective is that you die and you sit in the ground and you decay and that's it. I might respectfully say, I disagree with you and I think that God raises everyone up from the dead and those who trust in Christ get to live forever. And you can see, my agnostic friend, that that would dramatically change how I live my life, can't you? You can see that the reason I put so much energy into my neighbors and into my church and into the things that I think God cares about is because I think they last forever. Now, one of my agnostic friends who I talk about this stuff a lot with, I just say to him often, like, I know you think I'm nuts. We're friends. That's fine. I think you're nuts. And I don't know how you can live without the kind of hope that I'm describing. I would be depressed. And we can have this really good exchange about why Jesus, in my view, defeats evil through suffering. It isn't as if Jesus is a superhero who comes in and just is not affected himself. Jesus, in some ways, is the opposite of Superman, right? He's, he's the hero who comes and takes on all of the horrible things that everybody else is suffering with. Jesus doesn't defeat evil by being above it. Jesus defeats evil by going right into the middle of it. And this text says, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he can help the rest of us who are suffering. The God of the Bible is amazing because he comes and becomes fully human and enters into all the suffering that all of us experience and redeems it. That means that when we all enter into suffering, we know that it can still have purpose and that it's going to end and that the God that we serve went through it too. So if we're talking to somebody just about the big picture, the ideas, I think what we want to say is the good news about Easter with pain and suffering is that Jesus defeats evil through suffering. Jesus is victorious over evil through suffering. He wins by losing. And that determines everything about what it means to be a Christian in a church 
in any century, including the 21st century. Now, if you're in a living room with a neighbor, your living room, their living room, and they've just lost a child or a parent, or they abruptly lost their job, or they're facing an illness that they didn't expect that might be life-threatening. Or they feel so damaged by the way that they've been abused by someone else in their life, they can barely function. Or they've experienced such deep discrimination and racism in their life, they don't know how, they're, how they can keep going another day. And the list goes on and on, right? If you think of your neighbors and you actually know your neighbors, it wouldn't be hard for us to create a list of people who are suffering. Just in the last few weeks of the life of this church, we have people going through some devastating losses of loved ones who are close to them. Heartbreaking stories of people in our community who are suffering. And if you come into them and you say, listen, Jesus defeats evil. It's going to be fine. That's not only inappropriate, right? it's potentially very damaging to somebody. And the great book of the Bible that describes the way to handle suffering is the book of Job, where Job has these idiot friends who come. And the only good thing the idiot friends do is when they get there, they grab some dirt and they put it on their heads. Because Job's just, I mean, he's lost his family, he's got boils all, he's horrible, he's in a horrible situation. They grab some dirt and they put it on their friends, on their heads, and they don't say anything for like three days. That was the only good thing they did. As soon as they started talking, they just started saying stupid stuff. Anybody ever said something stupid to someone who was suffering? I have. When someone is suffering, they're really asking the question, why am I suffering right now, right? I'm experiencing pain, I'm hurting. I don't know why God is letting this happened to me. Chris and I have some neighbors who've gone through some really hard stuff over the last few years, and they've uh, objective, or I mean, uh, implicitly asked us these kinds of questions. Why would God allow this to happen to me? Here's a text that helps us to think about that piece of this question, Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. This line is the one that always helps me when I'm trying to think about being present with a suffering person. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you don't grow weary and lose heart. Leave that one up there too for a minute, Adam, if you would. What this text tells us is um, it's not an argument about evil, right? It's a description of a God who deeply understands suffering. It's a description of a God who can be present with us when we suffer. The most common prayer I pray for people who are suffering, many of you have prayed this prayer for when you've been suffering, I, I pray, 
May you understand, feel, experience God's presence in the midst of your suffering. That's not a cop-out prayer. That's not a way to get out of praying for someone to heal or to experience something differently. It is a profound belief that one of the best things you can experience when you're suffering is to know that God is with you and that God gets it. Not because he understands it, but because God experienced suffering. So what this text says is not only does Jesus suffer and understand our suffering at every deep level, but he endures that suffering because there is something greater on the other side of the suffering. So the way I want to put that this morning is that we have to remember that both evil and suffering have a shelf life. They only last for a while. And they feel awful in the moment. But the great news about Easter is that Jesus endured the suffering so that it doesn't have to be the thing that defines us. Whether you suffer for a short time or a long time, in any case, you can have faith that there's joy on the other side of the suffering because Jesus has already overcome evil. So when we're thinking about conversations with neighbors, I want to say two things. One, we've got to be able to get into some of these conversations about what folks really think about pain and suffering. And I think talking to people about pain and suffering as ideas is one of the easier conversations pieces. I, I asked you in the community time question to say, what's one of the easier things to talk to your neighbors about? It's not that hard to bring up a global issue that's kind of distanced from people and say, what do you think about what's going on in wherever that's, that's struggling at this moment? And usually people will tell you, right? And before you know it, you're into a conversation about, well, yeah, well, why, what's, why is that happening? Why is pain and suffering taking place in the world? And what's our role in it? And where's God in that? That's a way to get into that conversation with people that you're close to, that you spend your time with. It's harder to get into conversations with people in your neighborhood or in your workplace or at your school who are going through hard things, right? You've got to have quite a bit of trust built up with people for them to really show and share with you their suffering. But when they do, here's what we desperately need to do, okay? We first have to follow Job's friends, the best part of Job's friends, not the idiot part of Job's friends. We've got to show neighbors that we know how to mourn with them. We cannot just try to provide some explanation for why God's going to make it okay in the end. We've got to grab some dirt and put it on our heads and say, if you're mourning, I'm mourning. If you're sad, I'm sad. And if they ask a question about why something is happening the way it's happening, probably your best answer in that moment is, I don't know. I don't know, but I'm going to be here with you, and I believe that God understands your pain and that God is with you. And I'll stay here. And if you stay long enough, if you stay in those relationships long enough, you will come around eventually to the other conversation about why that stuff happened, but not in the moment. That means that we have to be committed as Christians to having relationships with neighbors that go beyond just transactional conversations that happen for two minutes, right? 
We've got to live with people for years. We've got to know their families. We've got to know their situations and their jobs and and what's going on with them. We've got to pray for them. And we've got to invite them into our own lives as well. That's the only way that's going to happen. The idea that we can just have transactional conversations with people that are somehow going to dramatically change their life is kind of like winning the lottery, right? Instead, the whole group of us, the 200 people who are here today, if we're all committed to living life with some people that God, we, God puts in our lives, and we say we will suffer with those who suffer, and we will offer good news to those who are asking questions about why pain and evil and suffering exist in the world, then we're going to see some people come to know Jesus. That's how that's going to happen. Over time and through deep investment, that's how God invested in us. Let me invite the band to come back up because I'm almost done. So Jesus empathizes with us in our suffering. Jesus understands our suffering. Jesus frees us from the power of sin and evil in our lives through the death and resurrection. Sin is disrupting the world and the world desperately needs to know that Jesus has already defeated it and there's a way through. Part of me just doesn't understand, in some ways I don't understand, why many of us as Christians, myself included, have made this message so complicated. That a lot of us would say, and I'm not faulting anyone, I just know that a lot of you have said this to me, and I, and I understand it, I'm not blaming anyone. I don't really understand how I would say something simply to someone who wanted to know the gospel anymore. I know I don't want to tell them that they're going to hell, because that seems offensive, but I don't know what else to say. So I'm trying to offer you something to say this morning. Does that make sense? I'm trying to say, well, one, try to get in a conversation in the next couple months, generally, about pain and suffering, and see if you can say to someone in a way that makes sense, I believe Jesus overcomes evil. And that changes my life. And if you know someone who's suffering, see if you can find an opportunity to just suffer with them and say, these are really hard questions, and I believe God is with you. Because the God that I know understands and knows suffering. And in a weird way, that's good news to those people, right? We have the greatest, we are part of the greatest story that has ever shaped human history, and we have to find a way to talk about it with people. And I know lots of us have felt weird about that. We've got to get over it. And we've got to start having meaningful conversations with people, and some of you are doing this in some wonderful ways. We've got to start saying, the God of the universe has overcome evil, and there's hope. And the terrible things that exist in the world can be made beautiful again, and they will, and you're invited to be part of it. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We're getting ready for Easter. We're preparing to celebrate the fact that you have already won victories for us that we couldn't win for ourselves. The fact that you, the the death, the grave could not hold you that you have already made beauty out of ashes. Lord, we pray that you would remind us as we again hear the good news of Easter, that we would take heart, that we would be reminded 
that you are always with us, that you understand everything we're going through. There's nothing beyond your experience. And that even in the depth of despair, Jesus, you are right there with us. You know us. And there is joy on the other side if we can endure and trust you and wait for your ultimate victory and your ultimate healing, not only for us, but for the world that you love and the world that we live in. Give us courage, God, to share the good news of Jesus Christ with the people we care about. In your name we pray, amen.